What we've spent the past 18 years doing is figuring out how to copy nature and take greenhouse gas, combine it with air, feed it to these naturally occurring microorganisms from the ocean and get them to make this material that we can use to replace plastic. We call it air carbon. Instead of using fossil fuels that would forever stay under the ground to make materials that then never go away, let's do it how nature does it. Um, and uh, it took about 18 years to get there, but, but now we're doing that at, at commercial scale. Fourteen million tons of plastic ends up in the ocean every single year. We are so addicted to our consumption of plastic that is made with petrochemicals that use greenhouse gases and that is incredibly difficult to recycle or biodegrade. On the podcast this week, we have the founder of a company that is completely reinventing the way that we can create something that is similar to plastic but made by extracting methane gases from the atmosphere and creating a product that is fully biodegradable. Mark is the founder of New Light Technologies and Air Carbon. Air Carbon is the brand name of the plastic substitute which they are creating to replace the conventional use of plastics. And they have been working on this technology for over a decade. They have won the Innovation of the Year Award from Popular Science, Technology Excellence Award from PC Magazine. They were the Biomaterial of the Year from the Nova Institute. The awards have been racking up and they have finally started to turn that corner to be able to take this new technology and apply it to everyday use cases. So if you have been into a Shake Shack recently and you have used a fork or a knife, you are familiar with air carbon, with this new form of plastic. I'm so glad to have Mark on the podcast today, not only to talk about his technology, but also to talk about the journey from an idea to the grinding hours of taking that idea and turning it into something that could actually help to reverse our addiction to plastic here on Earth. So this is our interview with... Mark, the CEO of New Light Technologies and Air Carbon. Welcome back to another episode of Who's Saving the Planet. Today we have with us the CEO and founder of New Light, Mark Harama. Mark, welcome aboard. Thank you very much. And you, you nailed my last name. I appreciate it. I appreciate you appreciating that because as people, uh, as our longtime listeners know, I'm more than a little bit dyslexic. And so sometimes the hardest part of these things is the first time I have to say someone's name. Well, we're, we're on a one for one basis. So let's, let's keep it going. <laughs> okay. So I am very excited to dig into this, to dig into your company because it, it's not every day you get to talk about something that has potentially truly systemic effects in the way that we think about the products that we interact with every day, what those products are made of and how to create a better system of using the materials in order to facilitate the stuff that we do all the time, which is to say like everything as simple as a fork, right? How can you reimagine a fork? So let me kick this over to you and just as you would explain it to someone a little bit dense like myself, what is Dulight? Um, so the basic gist is that we figured out that there are microorganisms in the ocean that eat greenhouse gas as their food source. So they see it as a resource, they gobble it up as a food source. And when they do that, they use it to grow and, and get bigger. 
And in the process of doing that, they build a material inside of their cells. Um, and the, the technical name for this material is, is PHB. Now, most of us didn't grow up learning about PHB, never heard of it, but the human body makes PHB, plants, animals, almost everything alive makes PHB. This is really interesting material. You can think of it like an energy storage material. And all that means is if you extract it, you can melt it. And so if you kind of think about that for a second, because you can melt it, that means you can use it as a replacement for plastic. But because it's made throughout the oceans, throughout life, life understands it. So if it ever ends up in the environment, the environment sees it as a, as a food source, kind of like a banana peel. So now all of a sudden you have this really interesting thing that happens in nature, where nature is eating greenhouse gas and turning it into a replacement for plastic but a replacement that doesn't last forever. And at the same time, in the same way that when a leaf grows, uh, you're reducing the amount of carbon in the air. When nature takes greenhouse gas and turns it into this, this material, uh, that's also a net carbon negative process. So we kind of came across this idea about 18 years ago and we're enamored by the, the, the concept of not only the product in the sense that you could replace plastic with something that would go away, by virtue of being naturally occurring, and two, would have a net carbon negative footprint. Um, but we also realized that the only way that that could have an impact was if we could use it to make products that people actually liked. In other words, they had great performance and a good uh, price profile. So what we've spent the past 18 years doing is figuring out how to copy nature and take greenhouse gas, combine it with air, feed it to these naturally occurring microorganisms from the ocean, and get them to make this material that we can use to replace plastic. We call it air carbon. And we think this is a whole new platform in terms of materials production, as kind of like what you said, from a systemic perspective, instead of using fossil fuels that would forever stay under the ground to make materials that then never go away, let's do it how nature does it. Um, and uh, it took about 18 years to get there, but, but now we're doing that at, at commercial scale. So I think you've said 18 years at least four times in that, and we're. I, it's so important to dig into that aspect, which we will, which is that overnight successes take decades of preparation and work to get there. But I just want to make sure I understand this. Plastic right now is something that is made from hydrocarbons by and large, which are extracted from the earth. And then it's a very energy intensive process and they last forever. It's sort of like the worst possible thing at every step. And you've created a replacement for that, that is carbon negative to begin with using biomimicry principles. So like tools that exist already in nature that creates something that is similar to plastic in the way that it can actually like we use it as people, but can be naturally biodegradable within a relatively short period of time. Yeah, that that's it. I guess one, one thing I would, I would, uh, add to that is it's it's definitely easy to 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 demonize plastic and, and we're you know in many ways an anti-plastic company um but it, it's also important to realize that plastic has done a lot of good it's it's downweighted uh you know products that would otherwise be made from wood or, or metal or glass it's improved things like hygiene shipping costs so it's plastic been a big part of economic growth but to your point it, it's almost too good it lasts forever it's not naturally occurring. So if it ends up in the environment, it doesn't go away. Um, and it results in, in carbon emissions when we make it. So 
it's kind of something that society has done. And now we need to intelligently get away from it <laughs> and move to a different model. You know, that scene in the graduate where he's figuring out what to do next. And the guy is like plastics, the future's plastics. I'm sure you hear that all the time. I feel like, like what you just said is so true where the evolutionary cycle of technology. Now we've reached peak plastic and we're now into what comes next. And you guys are building what comes next, the things that can serve the same function, but won't destroy the future. Yeah. And I think the way that is helpful for, for when we look at it, it's kind of like, if, if one of our value points is sustainability, looking to nature and kind of how it operates is, is a really interesting framework. Um, and, you know, when, when nature makes a tree leaf, it does its job and then it drops to the forest floor, it degrades, it goes back into the air, tree sucks it back out of the air, turns it into a leaf and you have this perpetual cycle. Right. So naturally occurring materials that do their work, then go away. Uh, and then, and then, you know, recycle, um, through, natural degradation processes. This is how the earth has sustained itself for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. So what if we could do the same thing? And that was the question that we asked many years ago. Um, and, and, and now is, is what we're doing today. So if you go back to that beginning part, then were you, were you looking for a substitute for plastic or were you just naturally sort of interested in the, the organisms that you were studying and then realized that there was a use case for something that was naturally occurring? Well, uh, none of the above. I, I, there's an embarrassing start to the story that I'll share with you. Um, but <laughs> later on, something, something more respectable, which is that I've always been interested in market-driven solutions to solving ESG-type problems. Um, but I got really sick my junior year of college and um, spent about a year seeing a bunch of different doctors um, and just had these really bad uh, digestive symptoms, um, like hair and nail issues and fatigue all the time. I started, they told me at one point I had internal bleeding, it was scary, didn't know what was going on. Mm. Anyway, at the end of this process, it, it turned out that I had celiac. Um, so I've, I've been gluten-free for those, those same number of years. Um, but one of the amazing, uh, features of celiac is your digestive system falls apart. And, um, so I started to do a ton of research in my frustration and, and try to figure out what was going on with my body and came across this newspaper article about methane emissions from cows. So given the, the digestive framework that I was in, as I was looking for all solutions, any solution, um, I, I saw in this article that number one, turns out that, that cows burnt methane, didn't know that. And second, um, that uh, they, they gave a number and it was 600 liters of methane burp per cow per day. And what was so striking to me about this was that you could, you could run the math on it and that, that turns out to be about $20 per cow per year. Okay, well, that doesn't seem like very much, but you got a standard cow farm and that's, you know, about a thousand cows, that's $20,000 of value into the air. And so then the other part of my, my sort of brain life clicked in, which was, I, I have always been interested in market-driven solutions. So the idea was, wait a minute, here we are talking about taxing carbon or burying it underground, but nature uses greenhouse gas as like the building block of almost everything that we see. Your wooden table was built by pulling carbon at greenhouse gas out of the air and synthesizing it into a useful product. What if we could do the same thing or at least something similar? 
And so, so <laughs> those two, uh, somewhat embarrassing and then maybe slightly more respectable uh, areas of my life converged. And then it became this, this passion to saying, like, how come, what if we could come up with a consumer driven pathway to environmental remediation? Imagine if someday you could go into a restaurant and use a fork and just the act of using that fork displace plastic and reduce the amount of carbon in the air. And uh, earlier this year, when I walked into Shake Shack and they had, you know, air carbon straws and cutlery for the first time, it was a pretty moving moment for me because after all that time, yes, now we're finally doing that where the simplest acts can become acts of, you know, a market driven, consumer driven pathway to improving the environment. So to that point, well, first of all, that's tremendous. And necessity being the mother of all invention, like I, I think that we all owe you a collective debt of gratitude for uh, the amount of discomfort that you went to to have this eureka moment of putting all of these things together. Um, that that point, though, about like, well, now this is sort of manifested, right? That original idea is now something that we're seeing um we're seeing your products actually available to consumers. So like you said, your cutlery is currently in Shake Shacks. It's also available in Target, just to give you, you know, a little bit of promotional and plugs here. And then it was just announced that you're also working with Nike to help use air carbon in the products that they make. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's a really unique molecule. Um, it helps companies address plastic, it helps them address carbon. And we're kind of at a point right now where, um, I mean, frankly, we really just can't grow fast enough. Mm -hmm. um, it's taken us a long time to get to this point where we have great performance, great pricing. Um, and, you know, the, the journey wasn't wasn't easy or linear, but um, but we have eventually got to here. Last year, we brought online our first commercial scale production plant. And that was a real um, deep bottlenecker for us because we kind of think of it as our solar panel. It's called Eagle 3. And now with Eagle 3 online, um, we're kind of just in a, in a place where we want to just add more of. Um, and so that's really exciting. It's also uh, somewhat frustrating for me because the opportunity size slash the amount of time that we have to fix these problems, um, massive opportunity, not a lot of time. And, and it's just sort of a daily frustration to try to go faster. Is it our, is the, the raw material or the, the end product at a price comparable? Is it, is it just as cheap to buy a, a fork made out of air carbon as it is one out of plastic? Well, we're still going through a pricing discovery mode, um, trying to understand how best to, to price our products. Um, they obviously provide, you know, some enhanced value over some of the other things on the market. Our approach right now is to price them similarly to other sustainable materials on the market. Yeah. Um, our long-term vision is to be able to compete with anyone anywhere. And that's how you get, you know, total system movement. Um, but of course, there's a staged approach along the way to get there. Kind of like what Tesla did with, you know, the, the various models that they had working towards the lowest price points possible. And Tesla also had a lot of help with government support about having a rebate if you're buying an electric car for quite a long time, cash for cars, right? That was a big deal back in the day where you could uh, you could trade that in. So I feel like there also needs to be some degree of collective action around this where we use some of the other lever levels, uh, levers available to us to help us transition to a more sustainable future so that 
businesses like yours have the support of uh, the collective idea of like, we need to not die. You know, we need to create better ways of doing things as a people. And perhaps that could be a good role of government. Yeah, I'd love to see that as, as the title of, of the next big bill that goes through. We need to all not die. Yeah, uh, let's not die. I feel like that's, you know, like eventually we probably should because that would have other issues. But like, you know, in the short term, let's find out better paths to not dying. Yeah, you know, so on the, the government subsidy, all that side, we always just had sort of a philosophy that um, we weren't that interested in, mm-hmm. in the sense that we um, we didn't want to have a business that was built around subsidies and 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 pricing enhancements um we felt that the the strongest platform to build could kind of stand on its own two feet what is interesting is that um materials for some reason has been largely left out of the equation you you see a lot of stuff on uh subsidies and incentives for things like you know solar and wind um you know certainly you know uh, electric powered vehicles materials have not really gotten onto the radar in a lot of ways. So whether we wanted to or not, those things just weren't available to us and they have not been a part of our journey. I think that's actually net net been healthy for our platform. Um, As we start to see more in in the carbon pricing world, look to the extent it's available and and we can, we can leverage that to, to um, you know, level the playing field relative to a hundred years of plastics production. I certainly think that that's something that we should do. Um, but I think it's also important to have a view that, um, you know, you, you want to build businesses as strong in, in the in the fundamentals as you can um, so that the, the, the gap in terms of what subsidies can or should do is as, in my view, as small as possible. Absolutely. Um, and now we are at the place where you have Eagle 3 online. I got to ask, where did the name eagle come from <laughs> I, I wish i had a, a wonderful uh you know story here but basically all of our tanks uh and reactors used to have these really boring acronyms like atp1 and atp2 and uh, there was literally just one day where i was like guys there's got to be a more fun way to talk about this and uh i i think my my spirit animals are are hawks and eagles so i just threw out why don't we just call it like eagle one eagle two eagle three and there was sort of a collective head nod around the room and and that was <laughs> i also love like when the boss says we're calling this now eagle three everyone's like well that's what we're doing it no one's gonna be like, <laughs> well i think it, i think it'd been in the like the inverse if it was like hey guys eagle three is sweet but we're gonna start calling this atp 1.9 people like, uh, i don't know man <laughs> i also think maybe you should use this power to start arbitrarily naming things in general right just walking around this is no longer stool this is now phoenix too you know, just like the office is your playground. I'll um, try that later today. So we're at the point now where you, like you said many times, we're 18 years in, you've built this very complex system. You've raised nine figures of investment to get to this place. And we're seeing that commercial, uh, the commercial products realized. How do you then bring customers into this vision? But by that, I mean, like I walk into Shake Shack, maybe I don't know that this fork is something that's different than a plastic fork. And so I don't understand the inherent value of that. Yeah. How do you, how do you bridge that gap? Uh, it's, it's something that we're spending a lot of time on right now, actually. Um, you know, when you, when you have an electric vehicle, you can just see you're, you're not filling up gas. <laughs> right. right. 
Um, whereas with one of our wallets or one of our, uh, you know, pairs of eyewear or a fork, um, look, the, the beauty of what we do is this stuff works really well. And thus you might not notice the difference. Now, if you put it under an electron scanner and, and FTIR scanner, you'll, you'll see that, okay, this is a different molecule, but of course, not many of us have FTIR scanners on our, on our phones. <laughs> so, um, so then it becomes basically product labeling and, and how do you message to people to enable them to understand both what it is and its impact. So we're, we're looking at a, at a bunch of things. Um, we're, we're looking at branding things right now that we think will be helpful just to communicate that this is a different material. Um, on our fashion products, um, on our, there, we, we launched a brand called Covalent Fashion um, after the Covalent Bond. And uh, one of the things that we do on our products is they each come with a unique blockchain number. So we teamed up with IBM a few years ago because we said, you know, how do we communicate our the the, the how this product was made and and what its carbon footprint is uh, in a in a distinctive way that people can really get into and follow if they want to. Um, and so called up IBM said, hey, we want to use blockchain for this. Uh, took us a couple of years to get that set up, uh, but now today you can take if you get one of our wallets or eyewear as an example, you take that number. And you plug it into our website and it'll show you every step in the production process when the gas was fed to the microorganisms, when it was turned into a powder or a pellet, so forth. Um, and, and then uh, the specific carbon footprint associated with the product, as well as who independently third party um, calculated that and certified that. And so um, that's one way to, to kind of demonstrate a distinctive difference. But I think in time, it's going to be a lot of education a lot of good branding. I personally think that branding and messaging is one of the um, one of the things that's that's more missing in the environmental space. And by that I mean um, I had the good fortune to meet the the, the person who uh, discovered the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, a guy named uh, Captain Charlie Moore. And um, what I what I told him was, you know. There's really two data points that I think have galvanized the world over the past few years in terms of plastics. Today, almost everybody knows about plastic pollution, actually kind of cares about plastic pollution, which is distinctive relative to how much fight we've had on the, on the climate side. Um, and I think really two things galvanized. One was that first moment you read about or heard about this Texas size you know, floating dispersed but floating island of plastic in the ocean that was just so understandable, but shocking. Um, and then second was this data point from the Ellen MacArthur Foundation was by 2050, more plastic than fish in the ocean. Now those two things got into societal consciousness and became just these, these like, wow, we can't stand for this. This can't be happening. And I think the third one that's starting to come, at least the one that happened for me was this calculation that we consume about a credit card's worth. I was just going to say that. Yeah, yeah, that's the one that definitely moved. I mean, yeah, sorry, not to cut you off, but for sure. Totally. Sorry, finish saying what it is that you're saying in case people don't know what that is already. Well, yeah, so so this idea that we consume that much plastic on a weekly basis. Right, one and, credit card's worth of plastic a week we all consume. Right. Just to put a point on that. And so, look, the studies aren't out yet, but I'm pretty sure that's not helping you. It's not <laughs> great. No one was like, you know what we need? We need more plastic in our diet. Yeah. Like, that's not a thing that evolution was, like, preparing us for, 100%. 
Yeah. And, and then it starts to elucidate, you know, okay, well then how much, how much microplastic is in the fish that we eat, the various foods that we consume. Uh, and so is air carbon edible? Sorry, just to, I'm just curious. Cause you said that is there, is it, what would happen if I ate some of your sunglasses? <laughs> well, we don't advise anybody to eat any of our products uh, in the same way that when you have um, organic materials, they might be naturally occurring, but they're, but they're rigid. Uh, right. We don't advise eating. Them. Okay. Um, look, this is a, a molecule that is made in living things, including the human body. Um, but still we, we would not advise uh, chewing it up. Um, but what happens in nature is microorganisms eat it as food. Um, and so it's this really interesting material because the way nature made it, um, I, my team always gets mad at me because I always want to refer to it as an energy storage material. And they're like, that's just way too obtuse. And I think it's kind of cool because it, it reminds me of like the, the force in, in Star Wars or whatever, because it's in all living things. It's this energy material. But to get a little bit more technical for a moment, the reason it's an energy storage material is because it's basically a whole bunch of highly stacked crystals. And, and, and how that translates is it takes a lot of heat before anything happens to it. That's why it's meltable. You apply a whole bunch of heat and then all of a sudden it transforms, turns into something that's flowable. You remove that heat and now it's in a, in a, in a solid form. So the reason that microorganisms and, and, and most of life makes this stuff is because it holds energy in a very dense form. And so microorganisms will, will build it in their cells as a way to survive and to thrive uh, we, the human body has a, as a similar type function in the way that it's metabolized. Um, so it just so happens that the, because of that, it makes it dishwasher safe. Um, and so from a shelf life perspective, water, as an example, doesn't really do anything to it. It can sit on your, you know, bathroom countertop for a long time, the shelf life of wood. But if it ends up in the environment in every ecosystem on earth, microorganisms make this stuff, they know how to eat it. They'll consume it as food and then use it as an energy source to, to grow and do their thing. Mm -hmm. um, I want to take you back to the beginning then to understand a little bit about what it takes as an entrepreneur to get to where you are now. What was it like the first couple of years where you, you had this epiphany, if you will, this eureka moment where this thing's possible, and then comes about the work of saying, well, where do I start? Yeah. Um, I can tell you the, the first decade was, it was, it was long. <laughs> it was long. Um, when we started, we uh, teamed up with a, a lab and uh, I, I had called up a buddy of mine that I went to high school with. In fact, we go all the way back. My mom was his uh, fourth grade teacher. Um, and so we were, we were <laughs> TPing houses in middle school and, and then uh, friends in, in high school, we were on the, the national oceanographic science bowl team together which was obviously the most popular team in high school. Oh, the coolest by far. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, read this article, called up, called up my buddy, his name's Kenton and said, you know, Hey, I, I think there's a different way to approach this. Um, and so we teamed up with a lab. We graduated from, uh, from our respective colleges and we both kind of took, um, you know, other jobs to, to pay the bills. So, um, I was a bellhop at a hotel. He was a valet. And then at night we would, we would drive out to our lab, um, did that for about a year, year and a half. And then we raised our first round of capital and built a pilot plant. Um, so this pilot plant, if you can imagine, it was a converted car garage from the 1950s where you can imagine like eight cars pulling in. So this long linear building 
And, you know, when we started, we were, we were three people and we were three people for many years. Um, and we like to joke, but it's not that far from the truth that it was kind of built on Google and Home Depot. So we were done a, doing a ton of paper research, scientific research with whatever we could find online, and then kind of building these things and trying to make them bigger and bigger. Um, but it was hard and it was, and it was long, um, with biological systems, they don't go to sleep. So you can't, um, you can't say it's, it's six o'clock and time to go home and we'll see you guys tomorrow. These things run all day, every day. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, you, you quickly realize that the, you know, the distance between you and your, and your goal is, is really just a function of, uh, it should be working smarter, but for a lot of time, it just feels like work, you know, how hard you work and you can appreciate this. Um, so it's hard to, to step away. Number one, because the bugs are always growing. They, you know, you can't, that you don't want to turn them off. You can't turn them off. And two, you're, you're putting in everything you got. So between 2007 and 2013, I mean, it was about as close to seven days a week as and and it'll sound like I'm exaggerating, and and if you talk to anybody close to me, they'll they'll tell you I'm not. Um, I mean, there's, you know, some family obligations here and there, and, and a, a few things here and there, but it, it was pretty nonstop. Um, and so you're you're talking, you basically put in as many hours as you can, and you know, plus or minus sleep and food. Um, and for a long time, you know, things were tough. It, you know, technology took a long time to figure out, and when the the weeks months years are rolling by and, it, and you're still just really pushing through it. Um, that definitely takes a toll, but the little, the little points of light in that journey were when you got the small wins. Um, sometimes you had a big breakthrough and we had a couple of those moments. Um, I mean, there was one moment where we had a, a, an advancement triple checked it and then just started sprinting through the factory with arms in the air. Cause it was so like, Wow. Um, what was but, that moment? What did you, what, what happened? Um, we were, we were trying to figure out how to increase the, um, amount of, uh, air carbon that these cells would make. And we've been trying a bunch of things for a long, long time. Um, and finally tried a combination set of things and it just went, uh, and it was, it was two in the morning on a Saturday night. And I'll never forget that, that feeling, um, and did that FTIR scan. It's an infrared scan of the, the reactor and you can see how much polymer that you've made relative to your microorganism. Um, and, and that was a, that was a joyous moment. Um, just to give you a snapshot of what, what life was like back then. So we had all these reactor types that we had built. Um, and so the next day it was like, Whoa, okay. Everything's changed now. Like redo it all. And so I had this three foot wrench that I was using to take apart one of our systems and one bit had rusted. And so I was pushing it and it, and it, and it slipped and my head hit a, another pipe and, and cracked open, uh, under my, uh, on my eyebrow. So I'm, you know, it hurt. So I'm, I'm on the ground and there's blood coming down my face, but I, I think I had a smile on my face because I was just riding this high from, you know, this, this advancement that we had made. Um, so there, were, you know, there were they say like blood, sweat, and tears, you know, it's, it's quite literal it, from that aspect. Yeah. Um, and you know, I remember when we signed, we signed a big offtake agreement with a company called Vinmar. Um, and that was right after we had done our first large scale production run. And those were moving moments for me. I mean, 
like when we, so we scaled up from a 10 foot tall reactor to a 50 foot tall reactor. Um, and when we did that and it worked for the first time, I remember I was driving away from that, that run. And, um, and I choked up a little bit because, you know, you, you do have to sacrifice, you make a decision on, on where you're going to, you know, invest your time and, and, and heart and all that stuff. And, and there's, you know, you can't, at least I wasn't able to figure out how to have it all. So I had to make some decisions, some choices. So the, the, the part of me that cheered up was just seeing it work, but also just knowing how much you sacrificed for that. Um, so, but, but, but really kind of what keeps you going, I think in those long years is, and I, I hope people, if there's maybe a, a takeaway here is those small wins mean a lot and they can be so small, but they mean that you, you're, you're making progress. And so we would latch onto those and say, okay, if we did that, that means we, we are moving forward. Even if we take a couple steps back, like we did that. And, and eventually we started to get momentum um, and, and got to where we are today. Did you ever feel like there was a turning point where it felt like there was, you know, like maybe there was a light at the end of the tunnel, right? Where you could actually envision this manifesting to the scale or to the degree that it has. Um, I think that in 2013, it was August of 2013. And at that point we'd been going for 10 years. Um, and we needed to get to the next level on scale, but our plant was way too small to, to, to supply anybody in a meaningful way. So, um, we figured out how to, how to retrofit an existing facility. Um, and, you know, we, we didn't have a lot of resources back then. I think we literally shut down the whole company and, and went to the site. Um, and it, and it, and it was important that it, that it worked. And fortunately it did. Um, and after it worked, you know, I remember standing on this the platform of this tank and it was, again, it was about a 50 foot tall tank and seeing that thing go, it was kind of like, okay, like this can go. Um, and it, one of the, one of the things that's been the most satisfying to me in this journey has been those moments because it doesn't matter what you do until you do it. There's plenty of people who are going to doubt you. It's just part of the process. But one of the most satisfying things is when you see the, the light kind of glimmer in their eyes where they're like, Oh dang, like this could go. Um, and where we're trying to get to next is to bring that now to the plastics issue. Some, a lot of times with environmental issues, they seem so big, right? Almost impossibly big. And you can put that metaphor into wherever you want, because there's plenty of things in our own personal lives that, that feel like that too, but let's just take the environment for a second. So plastics pollution, it, it feels almost impossibly big. We're flowing 20 billion pounds of plastic into the ocean every single year. So our next big point in time is we want to get up to 20 billion pounds per year of plastics production. Now, relative to the size of the industry, which will be at a trillion pounds per year soon, um, that's actually not, you know, a massive amount. In other words, it is doable. The, we can replace synthetic plastics that never go away with naturally occurring materials. We want to show in the next five to seven years that we can launch over 90% of the product types that are currently ending up in the ocean, replace that plastic with air carbon and show that, look, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to happen overnight but this is possible like we can do this. And, and I don't know where it is on, on, along that journey that, you know, different people will have that glimmer in their eye, but there will be a moment where people say, huh, like 
this is, this is in reach. And so that's been one of the most fun things for me on this journey is when those little micro moment versions of that have happened. Is there anything that, or if you were to go back to 2003, I guess, in the beginning of this, what advice would you give that version of yourself? Oh boy, that's a, that's a, that's a big, tough question. Um, well, I think I'd try to enjoy the journey a little bit more. <laughs> I feel like yeah. as, as long as, as long as it has been, I, I think it's, it's, it's never felt like, well, we got plenty of time. It's always felt stressed. It's always felt urgent. Um, and, um, I think I would have tried to savor some of that a little bit more, um, because you look back and there's a sweetness to it. Um, at the time it, it feels, you know, tough. Um, Yeah, you know, I don't know. I, I I do sometimes wish that the whole thing could have gone faster, um, you know, and I on, on every level I, I wish for that. But on the other hand, I it's it's hard for me to imagine a, a different path. We just had to go through certain things. Um, maybe if we would have been more you know prolific early on on the 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 fundraising side, we could have hired more people and operated less shoestring than we were in those, those early years that could have sped things up. Um, so I think also I didn't do a great job of reaching out to a network of people who had in some ways been there, done that. Um, and one of the things that I want to do now is, is be part of, you know, helping people shortcut things a little bit saying, look, you can focus on these 12 things. How about just these two? Cause you're going to get there a lot faster if you just, if you just focus here. Um, cause that's been another big lesson of, of ours and mine has been the power of focus. Uh, like someone told me this phrase, first things first and second things never, <laughs> but you know, like you get these long to-do lists, but it's like, yeah, but like what, what really matters here? Um, yeah. and it has been an evolutionary process for me to, to really internalize that. And the other thing is, as everyone talks about the importance of, 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 you know, getting great people around you. And we've been fortunate to do that. I don't think I accelerated in that for quite some time. There is a, a sense as a young entrepreneur that like, you just need to figure it out yourself. Um, but you can, you didn't have a degree in, or an advanced degree in chemistry or, or, you know, uh, marine biology, right. You, you were coming at this, like you said, with Home Depot and Google. Yeah. I mean, look, I was a, I was the uh, captain of the National Oceanographic Science. Right, 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 right. Uh, I, not to I, not to belittle that at all. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I mentioned that already yet or not. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sure that's like you know top of your first date thing. It's like, well, listen, <laughs> forget about this giant company and changing the world. Let me talk to you about the captain of the oceanic science high school collegiate, yeah. what have you. So I I had plenty of science nerd uh, in me, um, but. Uh, so, so I, I think, I think leaning on, on a network is a really good thing. And I, I could have done yeah. more of that and I would certainly encourage people to do that. So let me then just close by saying like, what message would you have to people that are at the beginning of that journey now and are thinking about like, maybe I'm going to try to do something that feels beyond me that feels so hard, but can actually potentially move the needle for our prospects here as a people on this little, little blue marble. 
uh, I, you know, I just wish I could implant into people's hearts kind of what I feel today, which is this sense that like it really is possible. And, and when you, when you, when you believe that, and when you finally see that there's, there's very few things that are more energizing, you know, I'm looking at my, my wallet right now uh, on my desk many years ago, this was just, I mean, the idea that we were going to take greenhouse gas and turn it into not just a useful material, but a, a product that I can go online with, with a few clicks of a button, <laughs> I can get it delivered to my house. Um, that's incredibly energizing because it was like, it was, it was so borderline impossible back then and now we're doing it. And, and I would encourage people to, to remember that like everything starts super small, the biggest stuff in the world. I mean, climate change started super small. It was just, we start with a little bit of carbon emissions that eventually got, you know, out of control. Um, and so look for the little wins because those little wins mean you can do it. And I'm, I'm pretty sure whatever idea you've got in your head right now, you could probably get there. Now you might pivot and, and it might come out a little bit different on the other side, but if you just stay persistent, um, I mean, I really think persistence is, is, is the key because it's, if you don't give up, you'll continue to figure things out. You'll go backwards and forwards and left and right but you'll keep making progress. Eventually you'll do something that's going to seem really cool. Well, I congratulate you for, for this journey. And I know you're only just beginning whatever this next chapter is. I can't wait to, to see how, how this unfolds and how we can actually grow to reduce that 20 pounds, 20 billion pounds of plastic every year. Well, thanks. I appreciate the, the chance to tell our story and, <laughs> um, as you said, for us, uh, uh, hopefully this is just, just day one on a, on a long journey ahead. Um, well, Mark, thank you so much for coming on board and, and giving us your time. It's really, it's truly inspirational, you know, to hear about not only the things and the processes, but the people that are giving us a, a better, a better outlook here. And so I appreciate that. And on behalf of all of us, thank you. Thank you for the time and the effort and the sacrifice that you put in. Um, it's tremendous. Well, thank you very much, Lex. I, I appreciate being here. That was our episode with Mark, the CEO and founder of New Light Technologies and Air Carbon. To learn more, go to aircarbon.co. That's aircarbon.co. Today's episode was produced by James Rhodes, and we have two musical artists that performed the theme music and the intro music. The theme music was produced by the one and only James Rhodes, and the intro music beforehand was by the inestimable Raya Was. Tune in next week for another story of how somebody is fighting to build a more sustainable future. I'm your host, Lex, and I look forward to seeing you again next week.